The Cat and Cloud Coffee Podcast is brought to you by Wilbur Curtis. They make coffee brewers. Ever heard of them? If you haven't, you should. They're an awesome family-owned company. They're here in California. They power their facility with solar power, which I hear that's like a new hot thing that progressive people do. The best thing about Curtis, in my humble opinion, is the turnaround time on the brewers. They have a 24-hour turnaround. It's phenomenal. If you've ever ordered a brewer for a wholesale client from someone else and waited and waited and waited for it to come in, you know how frustrating that is. So being able to get the brewer next day like that is absolutely amazing. Shout out to you, Wilbur Curtis. Their customer service is phenomenal. And they just care. They care about you. They care about me and I care about them. And that's why Cat Cloud Podcast is brought to you by Wilbur Curtis. On with the show. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Cat and Cloud Coffee Podcast. It's Chris. Jared's over there. Charles over there. Alex is in here. Sarah Shirley's in here. I'm in the roastery. I just dropped a batch of coffee out, and I'm about to roast another batch. First of all, I can't talk. I'm a little psyched right now. Sorry for not having an episode up. It's been really, really busy with the second store. There's been a lot of things going on. But we don't want to neglect you, so we're going to do some minisodes, and this is going to be one of them. So to get things going, I'm just going to do a little ride-along on the roasting process. So I just dropped a batch of coffee into the cooling tray, and it's cooling, and the temperature is currently dropping back down to what will be the charge temp. So let's just kind of get into the whole situation, follow along, and maybe some of this applies to what you're doing. And hopefully this is just interesting, if nothing else. So got the batch out, and we want to get it down to our charge temp. So for this particular coffee, I'm going to charge at 350 degrees. Now, charge temp really depends on what size batch you're roasting, how big your roaster is. So this is a 20-pound batch. Um, we do two batch sizes here. We'll do 20 pounds for single origin coffees and 24 pounds for espresso. We've roasted as much as 26 pounds in the machine, but it's not as responsive and it's just a little bit, it's, it's a little bit laggy. So it's maybe not the best thing ever. So, you know, pick batch size appropriately. For example, sometimes we'll run a 350 charge on some of the espresso components, but with a much larger batch size, effectively being a lower charge. So that just draws the roast out a little bit longer. We'll get, we'll get more into it. So temperature's coming down. I've got my airflow set fairly low. And when you're setting up the charge to start the roast, you want to catch it the same way every time. So what we do is once we've identified that temperature, in this case, 350 degrees, we're going to let the roaster fall through 350 by about 10 degrees. We're going to blip the gas and then slowly bring it back up through, through 350 in a controlled manner. So you can catch it on the upswing like we do. You can catch it on the downswing. It doesn't really matter as long as you catch it the same way every time. And another thing to keep in mind is that it's not just about charge temperature. It's all about thermal integrity and thermal energy. So even if you have the same charge temperature, you're going to have a different set of thermal energy whether you've been roasting for, you know, like maybe this is your third batch in or maybe this is your 10th batch in. And something else that goes along the lines of thinking about that is that, you know, if you have the same charge temperature, let's say 350 again, and your batch time in between batches is two minutes, it's going to be a much different story than if you have the same temperature, but you waited 10 or 15 minutes in between your batch settings. So we try to get into the rhythm, which I'm actually breaking right now to talk to you, um, breaking the rhythm a little bit out. So I'd recommend using a timer in between batches. 
and just catching the charge in the same way every time. So keep the flow, you know? It's nice here in Santa Cruz because we do have really, really temperate weather. So the ambient temperature is, for all intents and purposes, it's pretty consistent. It's never super, super blazingly hot, and it's never really cool or incredibly cold, I guess I would say. It's like a nice moderate temperature. We're three blocks from the water, so the ocean kind of regulates what we have. So while I was just talking to you, because I was talking to you for so long, I brought the roaster up, back up, well above the charge temp again, just to kind of rewarm it up. Although, I wouldn't recommend doing that. I would recommend going batch to batch to batch to batch to batch. And then, you know, some points in times, if you have some midday cleaning, you will have to, you know, reboot your roaster without having a batch in there. All right. We're coming down in a nice, cool, clean manner. We're coming down through where we want the charge to be. So I'm just going to initiate a little bit of gas to get the flame back going and bring it back up through where we want that charge to be. And then as it comes through there, boom. I'm going to drop the batch in. I'm doing like eight things at once. I'm sorry. Apply the gas and we're off and running. So we're logging everything on Cropster. So Cropster does two things for us. It not only tracks the roast curves, as you would assume, but it's also tracking our inventory as well. And for the first little bit of the roast, I'm not really doing too much at all. Hopefully I've set it up with the charge temp and initial gas application to where I'm not gonna have an adjustment right away. And it's like one of those things, one of the biggest things that I've learned is that the more you're kind of fiddling with the coffee, generally the worse it tastes, especially on the front end of the roast. So using a lot of gas up front, um, I'm at four and a half water columns in this 25 pound San Franciscan. And as far as gas pressure, there's not necessarily a direct correlation to gas pressure and applied energy when you're using different roasters. For example, when we were roasting on the L12 Probat, the four and a half water columns was a vastly different amount of thermal energy. We needed to use a lot more gas pressure to get to the same temperatures, same roast times and everything. So the burner bank on this SF25 is actually really girthy. It's really big and I just cleaned it out and the flame is super strong. It's burning like bright blue with just tiny orange tips, which is what you want to see. So using quite a bit of gas up front, I'm actually going to drop this uh, other batch out of the cooling tray right now. This may be really loud, so I apologize. I'm going to try to get some background noise removal going on in the editing process. So aside from running really pretty intense heat right away, we're also running relatively low airflow. So we have two ways to control airflow on this thing. We've got a damper on the crossover, kind of a manual way to control it. But the way that we use is a variable speed fan. So on our control panel, there's just a little roasting air pentometer. And you know it goes from 0 to 100. One thing to note that 0 is not absolute 0. Even if you turn it all the way down to 0, there's still the fan's still turning because you need some amount of air pumping through the machine to make it function properly, be able to draw any kind of smoke, chaff, whatever, out of the roaster and just pull some air through the drums. So I've got it set 
pretty low to start off with. And the theory behind this is that from what I've been told, and the reason I started doing this and that we use it here, is that lower airflow up front just kind of prevents the, oh, sorry, ah, almost died there. I almost died in real life. I won't tell you what happened, but you can just make up your own little story. Um, traps a little bit more moisture in the coffee and prevents high airflow from stripping too much moisture of the coffee away too early. Now, I don't have any way to scientifically prove that, but what I can say is that when we roast with lower airflow up front and then open it up gradually, we get coffee that has a lot cleaner finish and a lot more clarity than if we roast with full-blown, really high airflow the whole time, which has a tendency to be a little bit more dry. I know people that do both with good results, so this is what we're at. Um, we're past the turn. I'll give you a real-time readout. We're three minutes and 40 seconds in right now. This is gonna be uh, SO roast. So I've got some coffee from Antigua in here from Guatemala. And roast times are gonna be on the shorter end for our SO. So we're anywhere between 10 to 12 minutes on average. This roast is probably gonna be about 10 minutes, 45 seconds, 11 minutes, somewhere in that period. Um, our espressos will draw out a little bit longer to mute some of the acidity. A lot of people ask what the turning point is and don't pay too much attention to the turning point or at least we don't pay too much attention to the turning point because the turning point is mostly going to be a function of the initial gas that you apply and whatever charge temperature that you have. So we're coming up, let me zoom in on Cropster here. We're at 276 degrees and climbing, getting ready to turn on the afterburner. If you are in California, or I don't know where else, but in California, if you're gonna roast coffee, you definitely need an afterburner. Um, on this machine, the afterburner is fed through the same gas line. So you got a beefy two and a half inch gas line coming in to feed the roaster and the afterburner. And when the afterburner kicks on, it's gonna suck a little bit of gas away from the roaster. So if you turn it on here and wanna keep the same gas pressure, you're actually gonna to need to bump it up a little bit. You'll see the water columns drop. So I coincidentally have a gas adjustment to make right when the afterburner turns on at 300 degrees. So I'm gonna wait for the afterburner to turn on. There it goes. And I can see the gas gauge flutter. And then I'm just gonna drop in to my first adjustment here. Okay, cool. So now we're at about 300 degrees. We're at five minutes, 40 seconds. Things are coming along pretty nicely. Bean temp curve looks awesome. It's got that soft, the beginnings of the soft, like S-shaped curve. Environmental temp, obviously well above it. We're looking for an like an umbrella-shaped environmental temperature. And now we're getting close to where we're gonna start tapering the gas more. So if you've never roasted coffee or you're completely brand new to this, we're basically in the camp that's we're kind of constantly removing energy from the situation. So the gas is as high as it's gonna be at the beginning of the roast, and then we're continually taking away energy via the burner bank and adding in air. So we're coming up on 3.30. I'm gonna do two things. I'm gonna make my first airflow increase. So I'm gonna boost up the fan, and I'm also gonna drop the gas a little bit more 
color. We're a little past yellow on the coffee. Nowhere near brown, um, and it's kind of getting that little bit of bready smell to it. And again, I completely apologize if you have never roasted coffee before, or been around roasted coffee before, and have no frame of reference for the smells that I'm describing, but go find your local coffee roaster and get there. Now, things are going to start to happen really, really rapidly pretty soon. Um, as we start approaching first crack and the tail end of the roast, it's going to be really critical because I'm really going to be paying attention to the rate of rise and I'm really watching that bean curve because I don't want it to scoop and I don't want it to run away. I want to have a nice smooth kind of like inverted airplane style landing, you know, think that Denzel Washington type landing. So the tail end of the roast is where a ton of gas adjustments are going to happen. And on Cropster, we've got a lot of stuff scripted, but I'm not as concerned with following the exact gas adjustments as I am with following the curve and kind of building upon that curve. And also, you're really watching all three curves at the end. Rate of rise becomes really, really, really important because we want to have it consistently kind of dropping. We want that, we want that Rayo effect kind of going on. Um, so we're coming up on 360. We've got relatively low gas right now. We're going to drop it down into the two range, two plus. And now I'm kind of going by feel. Let's see. I'm going to zoom in again, and I'm getting ready to add a little bit more airflow to this situation and just open it up. I don't use the trier a lot. Um, the only time I really use the trier is when we're profiling new coffees, and it kind of helps gauge the color change and the idea of what overall development is happening. But I find that once you have a profile dialed in, the smells and things that you get from the trier aren't super helpful and just kind of really kind of get in the way. Um, all right. We're in mission critical. We're coming up on first crack, and stuff is about to get real. We're going to be rapidly pulling off gas. Now, the rate at which you pull off gas at first crack will depend on a couple things. One coffee will have a natural tendency to kind of cool itself because of the moisture that it drives off at first crack. Some coffees give off a ton of moisture at first crack, which, you know, you don't need to pull off much flame at all. This coffee doesn't give off a lot, so I'm going to end up pulling off quite a bit of flame coming in to first crack. Now, when you start your peel, the other thing that you're looking at is you're looking at the end time that you want, the end temperature that you want, and you're really looking at your rate of rise and bean temp curves. I'm really, really focusing on the rate of rise curve. The rate of rise is basically gonna tell you kind of how much gas you have left in the tank because you can only go so far with it. So if you have not reached your desired temperature and you run your rate of rise down to zero or near zero and need to add more energy in to get that rate of rise back up, Yes, you can bring your bean temperature curve back up, but scooping your rate of rise like that is going to dry your coffee out. It's going to bake your coffee out. Same thing with development percentage. You're looking at your development percentage. You want it to go up, and you want it to reach a certain number, but you don't want development percentage at all costs. If you take the development too long and, again, run your rate of rise into zero, it's going to taste baked or flat. Or if you draw your development and you know, have to spike the temperature to get the extra development and time, again, it's not gonna be super good. So right now, 
I'm at 391.7. I'm at a little over 15%. My rate of rise is dropping slow and steady. I'm at 2.6, 2.7. I don't want to spend too much time underneath two on the rate of rise. This coffee is going to go to about 18%. Okay, I'm at 393. Rate of rise, 2.3, 17.8, 17.9. Nine, and there it is. That's the batch. 393 degrees, 18.2%, 11-minute roast. Um, don't think too much about end temperatures. It's really hard slash impossible to compare end temperatures, roaster to roaster. Different roasters have different probes. Dif even the similar roasters will have same probes in different locations and that can affect your heat rating. So for example, this roast at 393 degrees, when we were roasting on the probe at, because of where the probes were on that thing, to get this similar development and similar taste, the roast was a lot hotter by about 10 or 12 degrees at a similar time frame. So if 393 sounds like ridiculously low, it might be compared to what you're running on your probe. So, you know, as with everything, you need to dial it in on the cupping table. You need to dial it in by drinking the coffee to figure out what level of development you want to get. So 18% on this one, we'll talk about development time ratio for a second. It's a little bit lower than the standard, you know, generally accepted as per the Rayo thing, which everybody seems to throw around is at 20 to 25%. So just a note on that, if you go back and listen to the episode where we interviewed Scott, he will say that that you know, um, requirement or suggestion is more like it, not a requirement, is kind of to encompass everybody who uses his book or uses his teachings. And there's a lot more people that roast much more developed coffee, i.e. darker coffee than this kind of upper echelon hyper boutique third wave kind of situation. So for someone like that, you know, going it all the way to 25% totally makes sense for the flavor profile that they're trying to create. For us, a pretty common window is 17 to 22. And again, depending on the coffee, depending on what we're going to do with it, all the single origins are kind of right in this 17 to 20. We don't roast too many SOs above that 20% threshold. We'll take some of the espressos and the dark roasts specifically, quite a bit above 20%, but we don't touch 25 with anything. Um, wow, that was a lot of talking in about 12 minutes. That was super sick. <laughs> I'm just trying to think of what I forgot. Mike Reezy's here. He's in there. Give the podcast a shout out, dude. Hey, it's Reezy Resales. What up, guys? I don't even know what I'm on right now. Are we podcasting? That's Mike Reed. Yeah, we're on the Cat and Cloud Coffee Podcast. That's amazing. How's everyone? Dude, uh, so, uh-oh. Mike Reezy just brought me. Oh, his pin. He made these little follow the hustle pins. That's super sick. We're going to have Reezy on the podcast. You guys probably know who Reezy is. If you don't, check out Reezy Resells. And he's a wholesale account of ours at his house, which is pretty sick. Also, home barista extraordinaire. And he's basically ready to party. This is super tight. I'm doing a roasting podcast. It's pretty gangster. Whoa. 
I totally forgot to turn off my afterburner. Turning that off right now. Finish the roast. There we are. Um, I'm trying to think for everybody out there in uh, coffee land what I maybe forgot to talk about while I was ranting so hard during that roast. Man, I don't even know. I'm tripping out. Um, I'll just give some other temperature references for reference. So while that roast, like I said, we were talking about probes and temperatures, was 393 at 18%, something that we do for some of our espressos, like the answer, generally in the ballpark of right around 400 degrees. And development percentage varies. So there's a washed Colombian coffee in that mix. And that one has a little bit higher development percentage. We're taking that one to about, you know, 21, 22%. And that's at a longer time frame too, about 13 and a half minutes. And then some of the natural components, like the Brazil is a pulp natural and the Jurgeschäft is a natural. Those ones are gonna have a little bit lower overall DTR closer to uh, 17%, which is really low considering the length of time that they're roasted for, which is right around 14 minutes. Oh, I forgot to add that uh, Mike Reese's daughter works for us now as I'm looking at her <laughs> through the window. It's pretty sick. Six degrees of connection. It's going down. So anyway, that was a little micro roasting, no pun intended, webisode slash mini slowed slash whatever sewed. And yeah, thank you everybody for being so patient with us with the podcast. It's something that we really love doing and opening up the new store has been such a crazy experience and it's been so much more work than we ever could have imagined with just with all of the facets of the business happening and things are going really, really, really well. And Jared, Charles and I and our whole staff, everybody out there are super grateful. I'd like to say, you know, all the problems that we have are the best kinds of problems. Wholesale has been really fun for us. The web store has been going off. We've got awesome new summer merch in from our boy Kevin, and it's been cranking. So, you know, we're figuring out how to get ahead of the curve and are going to be doing a ton of training and doing a ton of modules for staff development soon. So I'm really looking forward to that. But anyway, I'm going to get back to the rest of my work day. And as always, you know, Thanks for tuning into the podcast. We'll catch you guys soon. And I'm going to try to rope Jared into doing another episode with me right around now. Okay, bye. Bye.